welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who likes fancy parties. As always, we remain the mutant member of your Weird Science Podcast family. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the state-of-the-art long-term studio, high atop Staten's Weird Science Tower. And here with me once again is Ruben, today reporting live from the red carpet just outside the Hellfire Gala. Ruben, I gotta ask, who are you wearing tonight? <laughs> I don't get a cool mutant outfit. I just no, get... you have a, a Jumbo Carnation original? No, I do not. Yeah, I just got uh, something from Nordstrom Rack. Yeah, it is. I mean, it feels like we've been waiting for this issue to come out for for months and months. We knew something really big was going to happen. And, uh, well, it, it did. We'll get to exactly what happened in a little bit, but it did not disappoint in scope or, you know, taking a big swing. So you've got to appreciate that. Yes. But first, we got to do a little bit of a uh, little more preparation. As you may have noticed, we did not actually have a podcast last week. I was away in the uh, exotic land of Pittsburgh, and uh, Ruben wasn't able to get some together on his own. So we're going to do a really quick look at X-Men Red number 13 from a week earlier. Written, of course, by Al Ewing, art by Jacopo Camagni, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Ariana Mayer, and design by only Tom Mullen. So yeah, this was an all right issue. It does it, it mirrors to me uh, the events of Immortal number thirteen. So in Immortal, we saw the end of the Krakoan Quiet Council, where this issue is all about the splitting up of the Iraqi Great Ridge. So everything I see today, I'm seeing parallels and comparisons in lots of ways. And I don't know if that's my brain got into that rut or if that's really what's going on here. But I think it's a pretty cool, cool thing. Yeah, I like this story. And actually, if I, if we had recorded this episode last week i think we would have given it a lot of time and gone into all the details because i thought it was pretty well done the art's great and um, i enjoy some of the witty banner between the characters me as well so what's going on here is that the great ring has come together to hear from john ironfire who was sent by white sword to warn of the coming of genesis uh unfortunately he's interrupted early on by the coming of genesis oops should have come a day earlier john would have been so much better yeah, shouldn't have stopped for donuts. <laughs> Probably stopped in that hot tub and uh, soaked up in, the, in his nudity there. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so Genesis does a. I really liked how Genesis, and especially how the staff, the, uh, the what do you call, Annihilation staff, was represented. Yeah, super because cool. she sows discord among everyone on the council in a really effective way. Yeah. She accuses modern day Iraq of having you know, gone soft, of having abandoned the traditional ways that find what it always meant to be an Iraq, you know, back in her day when she was in charge of things and they were strong. And she kind of has, like all the best villains, she has at least a kernel of a point. Yes. We're not going to take her side, I don't think. After the Hellfire call, I thought she had a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah. Her, her uh, well, actually, being off on Mars seemed to be a pretty darn good thing for mutants, so you could argue the other way as well. Yes. But yeah, the, the being distinct from the earthly human mutants, probably is it okay? And I did like how so the annihilation staff. We've been told that it's it's more subtle than the helm used to be, and it's still very powerful. And here we see that expressed. We've seen a, this week. We see two things expressed on panel in word balloons to kind of mean things that aren't actual speech, which is a, a cool comic thing they can do. So at key moments here, we see a black word balloon coming out of the staff itself. With just a word or maybe two words, uh, and like uh, for instance, Sobinar, who's the 
axolotl salamander looking guy on the couch that you're on the ring. He says, well, you know, asking for help isn't the shame it used to be. We've kind of moved on. The staff just echoes the word shame. And we don't get the idea that anyone there actually literally hears the word shame, but the staff immediately makes Sobinar feel this intense shame, even having contemplated the idea of needing or wanting help. And just those those transitions between, oh, I, I think this, and the staff says a thing, and then the characterization immediately changes. It's, it's done so well. So we get some actual violence triggered. Kobach uh, gets challenged by Janice because she wants her old seat back. Uh, John gets involved. Storm gets involved. Uh, but before anything can really go too badly, Laktuka, who is the big star-looking guy, he, tra- he teleports a bunch of members of the ring off in an undisclosed location. Which, again, is a thing that happens at the Hellfire Gala, just people getting transported away. Yep. This this case is specifically Storm, Kobach, he's the porcupine guy, John Ironfire, Zylo, the historian, and Lotus Logos. So did we know Laktuka could do this? I don't know that we've had a lot of insight into Laktuka's powers. We know but we should he- Go ahead. I was going to say, we should also mention, before this happens, Genesis dispossesses... Uh, John Ironfire of the White Sword, so now she has the White Sword as well. Oh, yeah, that, that's probably quite important. Yeah, I didn't know about this power set. But yeah, he has, we've been told he has the power to know the location of all things. Yeah. So, changing the location of things, it, it, I'll buy it. I mean, you got to yeah. be an Omega to be on this council, and yes. that's an Omega kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, this makes uh, sense as to why Storm doesn't appear at the Hellfire Gala. She's been teleported somewhere else. Yes. Although no one seems to... Do they mention her in the Hellfire Gala book? I don't recall anyone bringing her. Hey, Mm-mm. where's Storm? No, but I mean, she's... Talk. Yeah, she's also on Mars half the time, so it wouldn't shock me that people wouldn't expect her to be the Gala. So we have the two sides of the Genesis War seeming to take shape. Basically, it looks like it's going to be those people teleported away versus those people who are going to hang out with Genesis. Uh, although Laktuka seems unaligned. He's still yep. physically there with Genesis, but he certainly doesn't seem to be on her side. Yeah, interestingly, even even throws some shade saying, if you want to take a swing at me for what I did, bring <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, and boy. she she You're thinks lucky. about it, right? But then decides instead to characterize their departure as fleeing, which violates Iraqi law. Uh, which is I interesting, know. right? Like, they didn't run. They were going to fight her, but they got sent away. But she decides... They broke the law, they ran, you know, now so I'm in charge. That's that's what's shaping up there. And interestingly, it doesn't look like the Genesis War it might not involve Earth at all. Yeah. I really thought it was going to be Mars versus Earth, but now it looks to be like an like an Iraqi civil war almost. Yeah. Just there on Mars. There'll be enough going on on Earth. T T B D, I'm not sure about that because could be either way. She was upset that the Iraqi left Earth, right? Some of mm-hmm. her angst is like, hey, why did we flee quote-unquote Earth, right? So it I can see be, her actually coming back and invading Earth. We'll it see. It could be a war on Mars over whether or not to invade Earth. Yeah. yeah. So it could be like a stage one and a stage two. Yep. Another I did laugh. Go ahead. Uh, Characterization-wise, I did laugh that they didn't bother to clean up the <laughs> Uranus <laughs> bone sculpture. In fact, now their council seat is sitting right in the middle of it. I just yeah. imagine it's like really crunchy walking around there. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they've like shoveled a few paths like it's been a blizzard in winter, but uh, <laughs> they like the symbolism there in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to mention is uh, we finally get to see uh, uh, 
Lycaon. I'm not sure how you say this guy's name. L-Y-C-A-O-N. Yeah. We've heard him teased before. Uh, two issues ago, Sunspot described him as, quote, imagine an Omega Wolverine and then double it. And that turns out to be a little more literal than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Because he's this two-headed wolf centaur with wolverine claws and a wolverine-type healing. Yeah. And he's presented as an oddly comic character, which it feels kind of out of place in the story, but his thing is way at the beginning, and they kind of get the comedy out of the way early before the, the big stuff happens. Yeah, he's, he's always bragging about seeing both sides of every issue, being open to compromise, but in a way that seems to, him, seems to make him ridiculous and like, easily manipulated. Yeah. And he holds the seat of stalemate, which, again, kind of on the nose. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I think there's some, some good things going on here. It, it does, again, everything we read about in the Hellfire Gala almost makes this seem small. But going back and talking about it, I'm reminded, yeah, there were some, some really big things happening here on Mars. So this is a strong issue, some major consequences. I really want to find the time to go back and read X-Men Red straight through from issue one to kind of get a really good picture of the arc of this particular story, which I, I think there's going to be a lot in there that means more now. That we see where it's going. Yeah, uh, the Kamani art is still really good. Uh, the Annihilation staff having some more explanations to how it worked was fantastic. Uh, overall, I'm going to give this an eight point three out of ten. Yeah, I'm in that ballpark. I'll give it an eight. I like the art a lot. I mm-hmm. enjoy the interpersonal dialogue. I think the conflict is kind of straightforward and clear, laid out. And it's kind of funny in a way. This might be like the better version of X of Swords, which Ooh, is strange, but the way it's the pacing seems to be better, at least in my mind so far. And, and it seems like I don't think it's going to go down the ridiculous, silly, schmilly route that X of Swords went for a good long time. It seems, yeah, exactly. It's actually, a conflict. And as you're saying about the Annihilation staff, it we kind of get a sense of what his power set is without it telling us what his power set is, but it seems sort of clear, right? It's sort of like the One Ring from Lord of the Rings tempting you, right? Giving you these kind of false it's thoughts something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, Genesis seems like a badass. So I'm curious to see what she does. I want to know what Apocalypse is going to do because we know he's not going to stay out of this. That's that's going to be huge to see Apocalypse. Okay, so moving on to our next issue, uh, uh, Wolverine number 35, which I think was originally supposed to come out like a week before the gala, but got bumped for whatever delay issues. Uh, it is written by Ben Percy, art by Juan Jose Enrique, colors by Frank Darmada, letters by Corey Pettit. Designed by Tom Muller with Jay Ball. So this opens with Beast telling a joke about a, a lion and a lion cub, where the lesson is be quiet and sneaky and you can eat all the gazelles, not just one. Now, have you heard this joke or a version of it before? Because I think it's a no. pretty common joke. No. See, You're telling version, me it's a lot dirtier in yes. the normal way. The yeah. original version of the joke, and, and maybe I'll ask uh, uh, Jim to, to tack it on to the end of this issue, was reference on Sopranos. But I heard it, you know, years and years before this spread. Probably some old joke book my, my dad had lying around. It's about a bull and his son up on the top of the hill. And the lesson isn't about eating gazelles or anything. It's about be quiet and sneaky. And you can uh, have relations with all of the cows down the valley, not just one. So maybe a little too racy for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about timelines. So Omega Red is alive in this issue. So initially, I thought that it must take place before the ghost calendar arc in x But in a data page, Sage says, quote, we've all seen the future. We all know what Beast is capable of, which seems a pretty direct reference 
to Ghost Cal. And yeah. also, Laura is a member of X-Force in this issue, which happened in the Ghost Calendar store. So I'm thinking this has to be after Ghost Calendar, and yes. Omega Red just got himself resurrected off panel somehow, and nobody nobody felt yes. necessary to mention he died and nobody cared, and he got brought back and nobody cared. <laughs> yeah. It's a, have you ever played uh, uh, like tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons? No. No. It, 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 the way he's treated reminds me of like we had like a, a party that was kind of too small, the adventurer playing. So they gave us this NPC fighter guy who just kind of would be <laughs> with us. Didn't have a character. Nobody really paid attention to him. Yeah. He just kind of came and went and, and did his thing. I, that's, that's, funny. that's how this team is treating. For, for Omega. Yes. So they're going to do a prisoner exchange, Wolverine and Maverick, trading the clone Marines to Beast, and Beast gets Jeff Bannister. Uh, but there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, a little flim-flam there, some shenanigans. The, the Quiet Council says, no, no, just go along with Beast's idea, which I guess they've got a lot on their plate right now, so maybe they would say that. But yeah. uh, X-Force itself is not interested in that. So they're going to do it. So when, when Wolverine and Maverick meet up with Beast for the exchange, the rest of X-Force infiltrates the Kaiju. A couple of cool things happen. I liked Bannister recognizing that the Beast meeting with Wolverine isn't the real Alpha Beast because this Beast needs reading glasses. Yep. That was a nice callback. Yep. And I really love the Deadpool page. Uh, you, you must know the one I mean, right? Uh, nope. Is this the oh, uh, <laughs> one where he's like cut in half and he's... Nope, not that no, one. Okay. It's the one where it's uh, a full-page look at like the top of the kaiju, and as you read the bubbles going down, they kind of give you a recap. Oh, and gosh. it's one yeah. of the ones where it's it's a, a technique called sometimes called the Deluca effect. At least that's what the, the comic tropes video on the idea calls it, where you have one large background and you draw a character or characters multiple times on that background, indicating that they're moving from place to place, but without any like panel board. There's multiple instances. Yeah. And they play with it in a Deadpool kind of way here because at the bottom of the page, Deadpool points out that, hey, my word bubbles read from top to bottom, but actually our real movement is from bottom to top. So it makes you kind of go back and reevaluate the whole page after reading it. And for, for fourth wall breaking kind of meta stuff, I thought it was really supremely well done. Really, yeah. really great page. Uh, another thing that was nice is Wolverine saying that Beast is a savage who thinks he's a gentleman, which is uh, really sums up what Beast has become, and in a way that Wolverine would say that. Kind of. So yeah, that was nice. And uh, outcome is that X Force does blow up the Kaiju, but Beast gets away in an escape pod with this is important with the Cerebro Sword. So the timeline is still kind of holding together. Beast can now go and hide those various clones around the world, although. Where he gets the Beast clones from now, I don't know. But he does have the Cerebro Sword with him, so he can plant that one under Stone Age. So, so far, it looks like Ben Percy may be pulling off this, this wacky time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's that's basically the issue. Uh, Wolverine does tell Sage that he's done with Krakoa. He shows up on one page in the Gala issue, but he may not even be on Krakoa there, so that, that works out. Uh, and the next thing that we see Wolverine doing is going to be crossing over with Ben Percy's other Marvel book, uh, Ghost Rider, for that Weapons of Vengeance storyline. So, a solid action-oriented issue. It resolves the main conflict. Uh, Beast is still out there, but he no longer has his own clone army and his giant Gron kaiju. Uh, and yeah, uh, it looked fantastic as always, especially again that one cool Deadpool page, but anything involving Krakoan technology, Juan Jose Ripley draws the best version of all of it. 
Uh, he's not going to be the artist for the Ghost Rider crossover, but that only lasts a month. And after that, he is going to be the artist on the next arc, which has Wolverine running into the Hulk. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this artist drawing some good Hulk action. So uh, in closing, some good kind of kind of dumb, but not too dumb action fun. Does what it sets out to do. I'll call it a 7.8 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to stay down as well and just say 7.5. But um, it was okay. I mean, I'm not the biggest Wolverine fan, but it's fine. I did think it was weird that they decided to leave three clones around. So there's, I guess, four Logan Wolverines now yeah, out in the wild. They're not at all interested in the whole philosophical, moral aspect of, you know, do these clones' lives matter? Are they just treated as disposable? Yeah. I think these clones are going to be kind of the MacGuffin in uh, the arc with, with the Hulk. I think I think Wolverine's going to be going after these these last couple clones. Yeah. Okay, so are we ready for the, the main event? Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, so this is the issue we've been waiting for for a hell of a long time. It is the Hellfire Gala 2023, written by Jerry Duggan, with a little help from Jonathan Hickman on, like, one page. Art by, are you ready? Adam Cooper, Luciano Vecchio, Matteo Lali, Russell Dauterman, Javier Pina, R.B. Silva, Joshua Cassara, Chris Anka, Pepe Larraz, and Valerio Shidi. Ten artists. Like, 80 pages, ten artists. Colors by... Ah, Rain Barado, Chechi De La Cruz, Matthew Wilson, Eric Arseniega, and Marte Garcia. So, only five colorists. And a single letterer, well, it's virtual calligraphy, so for all I know, that's 12 actual people. Designed by... Tom Muller with Jim. So, yeah, yeah. As you can tell from the, the list of artists that it's not a consistent look across the which they've done for the, ga- the gala before, but I'm going to complain about it now right up front just so I can put it behind me. I would love this book just to have a coherent one artist look to it, right? Yeah, I don't see the value in doing this other than I guess the artist wanted to draw different costumes, but um, I don't imagine it's for rewrite purposes. I think it's just I guess people like this. I mean, the art I think styles they all are want to be part of it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. The art styles are close. I mean, they're noticeable differences. You can tell, like when it changes, but it's not. It's not so glaring that you don't know who the characters are from panel to panel. You know who the characters are, but I, I thought it was 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 pretty glaring. Although I, I was I was primed to be annoyed by it, so <laughs> <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. None of it is bad, but I certainly like some of it more than others, and. And yeah, I, I know it's a lot of pages for one artist to do in a month, whether on other books. But yeah, I don't, I don't mind multiple artists if there's an in-story reason. You know, another artist for the flashback. Perfect. Yeah, they go yeah. through a portal and now they're in a wacky, you know, other dimension. That's a fine time to use another artist. But this is all taking place. You know, people at the same party are drawn pretty differently for no apparent reason other than hey, it's got a lot of pages. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on from that. Uh, let's talk about Ms. Marvel. You know, things to get out of the way. Uh, again, another thing I had a bad attitude about. Uh, I still think that her whole appearance here feels tacked on and, and not really connected to the story of the mutants. Uh, since Cerebro had been backing up Kamala's brain all along, I guess that meant she was known to be a mutant all along? Yeah, so that, that's what we get with the very first scene with, um, Emma and Scott talking at the treehouse. Basically, when are we going to tell her that she's a mutant, essentially? Oh, okay. So it says X weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, do you think that's X as in 10 or X as in unknown? 
I think it's as an un- un- unknown. It's just supposed to be cute. You know, some point okay. in the past, we were, I mean, it was after the treehouse was created, right? Because they're in the treehouse mm-hmm. and they're sitting there talking about, hey, we should tell her that she's a mutant. Okay. So after the treehouse was created, but before Ms. Marvel died. Yes. So these two at least knew when we're discussing her mutant dumb before yes. she died. Okay. And should we I'm tell her? Should we invite her to Krakoa? And, and Emma's basically, or Scott's like, well, she lives with her family and she has a secret identity. Like, mm-hmm. we can't. I mean, it's still an obvious retcon, but they are, yeah. they are doing some work to try to make it make sense. I do appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so, do you think that Ms. Marvel is going to be a part of the Fall of X storyline? Is she going to come into this book like the way she came into Amazing Spider Man? Or is she only being. Is this issue only to send her off into a separate adventure? I mean, they they have to do something with her. It seems a lot of people, and this is the one criticism of this issue, a lot of people are, that I agree with, a lot of people are saying, like, what was the point of this? So she was killed off, she's brought back, and they're like, oh, by the way, now you're meeting too. And understandably, that's sort of a shocking revelation, but uh, then, you know, everything goes to hell later. It would be really weird for her to just be like, okay, I'm a mutant, I'm going to go back to my normal life and this will never come up again and i guess some people have said there's maybe some synergy with the with the mcu going on here i i don't know that she's been called a mutant in the mcu but i guess this is how they because she i think here she's like well what were my powers and they're like, i didn't well, you- watch her series but i did see a scene that i think was the very very end of the last episode where she somehow gets the word mutant attached to her and that's like the cliffhanger okay. to the whole series Interesting. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that far yet. It's one of those things where uh, my wife actually usually likes the t- the movies well enough. Just completely hates all the TV shows that are on Disney. She enjoyed the Netflix ones, and um, so I watch this one sort of when <laughs> when she's not around and I have an hour that I can actually put to watching a TV show. So I think I've made it about three episodes in. And then there's a big influence on, like, you know, on the TV show, at least, it's like, hey, she's Muslim, you know, second generation. Like, what does that mean in America? Which I guess is, like, a little bit interesting, but but not that interesting to me personally. It's not something I have experience with. Um, so, I don't now, know. I do it's, think in the comics, it would be really interesting to see her and her religious family grapple with this idea of her Cohen resurrection, right? Yeah, we haven't seen like seriously religious people take that seriously and ask, "Well, what does Are that mean the same regarding our fate, our vision of the universe, all that kind of stuff?" Yeah, I don't expect them to do a great job on that. It's not the kind of thing that modern Marvel really does well. But if they yeah. do it well, I'm I'm ready to give them full credit. I mean, if nothing else, this could if their goal is to have the family learn who she really is, you would think this will ha- come out because of this, right? Because you've got Stark Sentinels hunting mutants. They're going to find her, right? And if she's in her you know, secret identity, they're still going to know that she's a mutant and attack, right? Well, her, her mutant powers haven't manifested yet, so I don't know how that sense works. Yeah. Presumably, you know, once they name her mutant, we're going to see her powers manifest pretty soon, so that'll be a new point. Yeah. And other people have said, like, in the TV show, she's got kind of these, like, light projection powers, which is obviously not the stretch powers that she has and is an inhuman. So... I mean, if all of this is just to say, like, oh, we want to give her the TV show powers, too, seems like a really convoluted way to do it. You could have just given her any magic artifact, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. And uh, yeah, we'll certainly talk about at least the first issue of her upcoming series. 
which I, I did uh, do some poking. It is going to be edited by Jordan White, who is the X-Men group editor. So that may, gives me some thought that it's going to be tied, kind of tied in closely. And yeah. it does have the Fall of X trade dress on the cover. Okay. So at least they're sending a message in that way that there'll be some connection. Yes. So wait, and yep. my final note on Miss Marvel, when she's resurrected there, they probably could have given this young lady a slightly longer robe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Just maybe, I don't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad of teenage girls. Maybe a little uncomfortable. You know, yes. She's okay. clothed. That's an improvement over most of the time, right? <laughs> That's that is certainly true. We don't want to see her just covered in egg goop. That would be yeah. unpleasant. They could have had everybody there cheering and celebrating like they normally do, which probably not a great thing given her faith and everything. Although they do have a, they are some men present too. So if they wanted to lean into the <laughs> religious idea, they could have you know not brought Charles. Well, we don't know if they gave her a vote first. Anyway. I think we're yeah. getting too deep into this particular issue. Yeah. Uh, at the gala, she does show up another time. I, forget, I don't think I marked out what page it is, but at some point early on, she talks with Xavier some more. Yeah. I, I didn't like the way his dialogue was written here. And she also has an odd shot with Rasputin the Fourth, who, who really butters her up in a way that I, I hate it. Marvel does this a lot, especially for its female characters, where it just has other characters tell us how great they are. Almost like they're telling us, hey, you, you better love this character or you're a bad person. And I, I just don't like my comic book's time. Uh, so the quote is, uh, Rasputin is impressed that the great ex, by whom she means Xavier, removed Cerebro and gazed upon you with his clear blue eyes. You must be of tremendous importance. And then talks about how she's this great hero who's an inhuman and a mutant and a Muslim and all these things. And yeah, I, I thought it was laid on way too thick for my taste. Yeah. Okay, so those are really my biggest complaints about this issue. Right out of the bat, get them out of the way, moving on to the good stuff. And there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, so the, the opening of the festivities, it starts off, you know, like every other gala we've seen. It's fancy outfits, showing off for all the many nominated guests. We get some big promises. Uh, Forge is going to give another mute present to humanity. Those technological cures for housing and food that were promised in a data page at the end of X-Men number 22. Yeah, they never get to that. Uh, we hear there's going to be the election of another X-Men team. That does happen, kind of, more or less. Uh, those of us who have been reading Immortal X-Men are waiting for that big announcement that, hey, uh, here's some bad news, guys. The whole government of Krakoa has kind of collapsed. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's good news for Charles that he doesn't actually have to make that speech. Yes. You know, try, to, try to find a silver lining here, but uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. So we do see Cyclops run off to deal with alarm at the treehouse. And if you didn't read that free comic book day issue, you're going to be pretty lost because none of that is really recapped here. It's referenced, yeah. but in a way that depends on you knowing that he went off to the treehouse, fought fake Captain Krakoa, uh, treehouse burned down, he got thrown off the edge, and all that stuff about Rogue and Captain America. If you don't know that, you haven't read Free Comic Book Day, you're going to be confused. Yeah, that's a little weird to me that a kind of important detail is covered in a free comic book versus just what you can normally get or subscribe to. But um, I guess good thing that we did read all that. <laughs> yes, that is why, listeners, you should always tune into this podcast, because we'll tell you all the important stuff. Yeah. Uh, this book is already... 80 pages long. So they probably yeah, I mean, want to stick in even more pages about stuff that already happened. Sure. I mean, we don't need all that stuff in in here. I just find it strange that that wasn't covered in like a different medium. It's a little weird. Whatever. Uh, now we get to the other kind of 
advertisement section of the book, which is a cameo appearance by, I guess their names are Dimitri and Wynn, who are probably the main characters on the upcoming G.O.D.S book by Hick. Yes. So Magic, that's the character Magic, she doesn't like them because she says they smell like magic. And they're not the on the guest list. And yeah. they're not on the guest list. That's true. I, I don't blame them, right? You've got these two like mysterious figures that just show up. you got to have some security. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Wynn says he's here because way back in those Hoxpox days, Charles told the world in that big old speech that mankind has new gods now. And Wynn says that he and Dimitri, quote, work for the old ones. Yep. So that's a little bit of tease coming up. It doesn't really seem to mean much for mutant stuff, but it's just kind of a reminder that, hey, Jonathan Hickman's doing this gods thing. Go buy that. Actually, I, I read a little bit more into it. I'm more okay. intrigued than you are. One, I'm very interested in the gods book, but also these characters are interesting, right? They're like, hey, do you guys think you're gods and you've got magic who responds damn right? And then he's like, wow, that's bold talk. You know, I kind of, in, in a way, he's, he seems, if he works for the old gods, maybe he knows what's going to happen, right? I get some insight that he's got more understanding of what's going on and it's almost throwing shade. Like, you guys maybe. think you're so, you know, untouchable. I just needed to see you before shit hit the fan. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm taking them more as kind of generic, mysterious, mysterious Hickman characters. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm ready for him to prove to me that there's more to these characters than that, but so far, I haven't, I haven't seen. But, well, yeah. we know we know these guys are going to show up in a couple of different books. At least the Guardians of the Galaxy oh, okay. issue is advertising that they oh. they would be there in the next issue, and so I'm wondering, are they going to be showing up in a lot of a lot of uh, Marvel books? And if so, like, what are they doing, going around checking things out? And we still don't really know what gods they work for. So I'm intrigued. I want to know what's up with these guys. And they skedaddle after they kind of throw a little bit of shade. Yeah, they're there for <laughs> exactly one page, which I guess this is the page that Jonathan Hickman wrote. Yeah. Well, look at that grin on his face. Look at Wynn's face. He seems, you know, kind of pleased. And Dimitri, too. Who Dimitri is very, like, I'm bored. Why am I here? Just, Look like, looking at the cell phone. Yeah. yeah. And as they leave, they both kind of grin. I think it's nefarious. Could be. Okay, so, let's see. The next thing that we see is that, oh, the tension starts to ramp up a little more. Uh, the parties, you know, going well, but some stuff happens. We see the Avengers and Cyclops... I guess Cyclops left early, but the Avengers also rush off. They're going to tend to the DC incident, uh, yep. which that's not referring to the distinguished competition over there with Batman. They mean the fake Captain Krakoa blowing some politicians up, as seen in the free comic book page. Yeah. Uh, so even Rogue gets notified versus Avengers emergency frequency. I guess she still has a membership card back from her Avengers days. Yeah, um, everybody who's an Avenger always keeps the card. I think that's consistent with what we've seen in yeah, the past. Yeah, I think I've seen that too. Unless you get kicked out. <laughs> She's a reservist, right? Isn't that the term they use? Yeah, I, I believe that's it. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of stuff is going down. They need some extra help. So, yeah, she goes off to help out Steve Rogers. And we saw that happen in that issue. Uh, but that does mean that she and the Avengers are all out of the party. So they're not going to be around to either be helpers or victims. Yeah. And Rogue is going to come back later. But uh, this is why she's not around, which makes sense. So now we see, do we say Lords or Lordes for Lordes Chantal? I, I just say Lords, but... Let's go with Lords. Yeah. So Lords mentions that Sebastian Shaw, speaking of people out of the party, he's not at the party. Yeah. And he's also not back on Krakoa. So presumably Shaw, who we know was in cahoots with Orcus, he got tipped off to make himself scarce. 
Yep. And Duggan also goes out of his way to remind us that Lords is a teleport, which is going to be very relevant in uh, about 50 <laughs> pages. Yep. I thought that was pretty, pretty well done. It didn't feel like we were being told something at that page. But then 50 pages later, when she does her teleportation, then we go, oh, right. I just, I remembered that. Yeah. So that was, that was a nice subtle touch by, by Duggan. It wasn't always the most subtle. No, this part was good to me in general because the tension gets ramped up. You know, some stuff's happening, but you don't really know what's happening at this point. It definitely made me feel, I started feeling a little uneasy at this point. Yeah, you can almost pick it up from the crowd, imagining that there's a little bit of tension kind of moving through the people as they notice all yeah. the Avengers leaving. People have looks on their faces like, uh-oh, yep. you know, we've gone from party mode to serious mode. You know, again, I'm sure Avengers rush off all the time to do things. They never get to go to parties. <laughs> so yeah. no one's super concerned yet, but yeah. you can tell, hmm, something's a little, a little tense. Yeah. So to break the tension, now it's time for the big X-Men team vote. Now, we should analyze this new team in excruciating detail because this is absolutely <laughs> the team we'll be dealing with for a full year of X-Men comics, right? This is important yes. big stuff. Uh, so Jean does announce that both she and Scott are leaving the X-Men, and the new later leaders are going to be Talon, a.k.a. Old Lady Laura, and Sink. So one not-so-happy couple being replaced in leadership by a, so far, pretty happy couple. Yeah. I like that. The other members are, in this nice big splash page, looking very pleased with themselves. Uh, we get Cannonball, Prodigy, Frenzy, Dazzler, Jubilee, and Juggernaut, who looks none the worse for wear after being mind-controlled over in uh, Rogan Gambit. So, Ruben, <laughs> what do you think of this amazing team? <laughs> it's what okay. Did, what did you think when you first read this? What was your reaction? Well, so here's the thing. I, I read this on digital, mm -hmm. and when you open the digital file, it shows you what happens like on the page turn. So uh, You're seeing two pages side by side? Correct, yes. Ah. So I knew, I knew it kind of ruined the surprise, right? And there's a lot of people on x look at me being progressive and knowing what the platform is called now <laughs> um who are, who've lost their shit right who who will give this like a you know you've committed a cardinal sin against x-men fans rating um because it's yes it's a it's a very unique team to say this is the x-men right there's a lot of diverse characters and these are not the you know i guess cannonball is he the most I guess Jubilee and Cannonball maybe are the most recognizable members. Maybe, well, Juggernaut probably. But I mean, Dazzler's had her own series back in the day. She's kind yeah, of a, a cult. These are still like C to D list characters yeah. being promoted to being on the X Men. So I, I read digitally as well, but I read on a tablet. So I only get one page at a time, unless it's I a see. two page splash landscape that it shows me landscape. So for me, every page is a page turn. I don't see two, two pages side by side. Yeah. So I, I usually do, but page. I read this on, I think I read this on the uh, Kindle reader, but okay. in any event, yeah, so the team's interesting. Um, so I looked at this page and I thought, yeah, that's kind of an underwhelming team. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, this, where, this is where I was going to go with this. Yep, this right. is where, so if this was the team, right, like, let's imagine that this is the end of the issue and we've got now this X-Men team. We are on page I, 20. This is one issue's worth of content, basically. Yeah. I, I would look at the team and I would say, like, well, what? What am I here for, right? Like, I'd be very suspicious. Is this a team that's going to have storylines that interest me? And I'm not familiar with these characters enough to be like, oh, they have a lot of unresolved storylines that I'd love to see resolved. In fact, um, the opposite, right? Like, mm -hmm. we've got Jubilee, like, single mother with Shogo. I kind of feel like that was a bad 
character decision because it just feels weird whenever I see her in comics. Because like as a parent, I'm like, how much you don't really have time to go calvating around when you're raising <laughs> I still a think kid of her as a vampire. So I, I guess that's been long gone. Yeah, that's long gone. And then I, I've never been a fan of Dazzler because um, she was like a gimmick. I guess she was like a. Oh, yeah. You know, like jump on the disco trend, basically. Yes, yes. And they've tried to change her into like a, you know, everything pop star. And she's sometimes got like pseudo resurrection powers um, really? that are. Yeah. So, so basically they they've killed she her off and brought her back. Vampire book with all the, the swearing and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they've, they've killed her off and brought her back several times. And people and even in one issue, they're like, oh, so you're immortal and you could resurrect. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Okay. It's like the it's like the worst hand waviness stuff, right? And the only character on here that I have liked in the past is is um, Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a fun dumb guy who's a villain trying to be a good guy, but not very good at being a good guy. Yeah, he's had some yeah. Cool yeah. So I'd be pretty s- somewhat skeptical of this group. Like we we had Frenzy in um uh, what was it uh, Sword right for a while. I don't remember her doing anything, and I think maybe Prodigy was part of that team too. It wasn't Prodigy, it was, uh, I think you're thinking of that that other techno guy, smart guy okay. who rides around and it's almost like a wheelchair, hover wheelchair. Oh, okay. So then I don't even know anything about Prodigy. Yeah. I'll just put it at that. <laughs> um, so yeah, these characters just, it, I don't know. Yeah, I saw this and I think, oh no, we're going to get a whole bunch of cringy Twitter dialogue. All yeah. these characters are. They seem like yeah. the kind of characters that X writers love to give the cringy Twitter dialogue. Yeah. So when I then, look at this, I'm like, this is uh, the team written by like Leah Williams. It does, <laughs> it does look so, like a Leah Williams team. Yeah. That's kind of what I just said, but in different words. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was not get, excited about it, but I, you know, age turn of the year. I, <laughs> I, some people are going to hate me for this, but I love this page. turn. Yeah. I love the parallelism. They're all kind of in the same position. Oh, first we do have Jubilee saying, Hey, Look up! What good luck! A falling star, <laughs> and then we turn the page, and Nimrod from the top rope just crashing down. And let's hope that Dazzler does have resurrection powers because yes. she did. Yes. Uh, and we see Cannonball, who he should be—I uh, think the phrase is nigh invulnerable when he's blasting. Yeah, but he's he not. Looks like he's he's not. blasting. So he should be okay, but he's dead. It's, it's but Nimrod, where is he but blasting? Where is he blasting? I think he's. Well, he has fire from the waist down, unless that's just his costume. I thought that means he was blasting. Where is he, though? I'm not seeing him. So I see He's Prodigy's upside skeletons. down in the upper left, I think. I think those upside-down legs with no torso, I think that's, that's Cannonball. Okay. <laughs> I, think his torso, I think his upper torso is gone in that page, but yeah, we'll see. So then we also see, let's see, uh, Prodigy, he is amazingly dead. We see, like, his he's basically skeletonized except for his head. Really yeah. gruesome. Yeah. You see, Jubilee is not quite dead, but she's in a bad shape. Uh, she could, she could be dead. Fine. TBD. She's got a bunch she, of fire well, around she's her. She's not dead because she gets killed on the very next page. Oh, okay. She okay. gets one more line of dialogue before getting her head popped by uh, okay. a new lot. But yeah, this team gets messed up. We do see that Talon and Sink escape off the top right corner. Yes. And we get uh, Jean Grey inserted in the foreground just looking horrified. Yes. But yeah, this was a truly shocking page. I did not expect this at all. Yeah. And again, I'm not happy that these characters have been killed, but I am happy to have been surprised by something, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, especially in a Hellfire Gallus. They've been kind of dull issues, more focused on giving 
artists a chance to draw like bad fashion. <laughs> uh, so to have a major shock here in the middle, like it ramped it up a lot for me. Yeah, it did tell us that they're not messing around this issue. When they promised big changes to the status quo, yeah. really, really nice. And I want to be a little sympathetic to all the people who just got... I mean, there is a big group of vocal people who are pissed off about this, you know, because it's a very diverse team and it got, you know, brutally murdered. That's sensitive. I guess I'd care more if this was like my favorite characters getting eviscerated, but it it's obscene to deliver a shock, right? To make you angry at Orcus and... I think it's extremely effective at that. Yeah, I saw some complaining too, and, and some people seem to think that you know bad things happening like these aren't real characters. They're not. They're not real yes. people, right? Yes. We would be if these were real people having bad things happen to them. We shouldn't be entertained by them. But yes. this is a, a superhero story. We need to have big villains doing big bad things to give us some tension, to raise the stakes, to change things up. So that's the sense in which I enjoyed this page. Yeah. So uh, I guess we need to speed things up a little bit. Uh, there's a big old fight. Magic can't teleport everyone away because, hey, she was dosed with nanobots, nanobots back in X-Men 23. So that was a thing that actually happened. Uh, some various mutants die, notably Iceman, who Nimrod kills horribly. I mean, it is gruesome on the page. He injects, I don't know, some kind of melty heat particles. Maybe that stuff we put on sidewalks in winter. I, I don't yeah. know, but it's, it's nasty. Uh, Stark Sentinels show up, a bunch of them. Uh, Dr. Stasis and Omega Sentinel waltz on through a gate. I mean, literally, they appear to be waltzing, uh, which normally shouldn't be possible, but Orcus has taken control of the gates with help, we're told, from Horticulture. Now, they don't mention the Legion of X thing where we're, we were told that they had hacked the gates. Was that yes. part of a Horticulture thing? So maybe it was think, all part I think, of the same thing. Yeah, I think it was the same thing. They no. were dealing with, um, I don't remember the Horticulture names, but one of the one of the ladies, the Golden Girls. Yes. Okay, so that's all. So many things in this issue were foreshadowed and mentioned in so, so many other books. And it is coming together in a cool way. Yeah. So at this point, Dr. Stacy reveals the more subtle part of their nefarious plan. Especially that this has been a work in progress for a full year. Yep. And that during that last Hellfire Gala, he had slipped some nasty bit of business into the Krakoan Med. Yep. We saw that last year, and I kind of wondered, like, what is he up to? And yep. then we found out this is what he's up to. This yeah, is I was that like, bit. Mm, go ahead. I was, I was happy they went back to this because I, I do remember that. And we were just like, what the heck is he doing? It, like a genetic engineering type thing, and he seemed to have been happy that he had accomplished something, and that it never seemed to be referenced. Yes, he went again. off to do science, and he did science, evil yeah. science, in fact. And this is the thing that lets they play. I think it's a sound based thing, sound wave where any human who has taken those meds, if they play the sound, they turn into like a, a violent maniac. Yeah. And I hadn't, I don't think I'd put this together before, but this is a super direct parallel to what that other Nathaniel Essex, Mr. Sinister, did to the genes of any human who goes through the resurrection protocols. Yes. yes. It's the same thing, but in a different little twist, which is really cool. I think. Yeah. And I want to say another thing about this, because I've seen people being like, oh, I can't believe the Krakoans wouldn't have detected this. Yes, that is a that is a thing to talk about. Yeah, I can one hundred percent believe they wouldn't, right? Because we were told that Nathaniel Essex's and this is a clone of Nathaniel Essex are so sophisticated at genetics that they can hide strains in ways that no other scientist can detect the change. Yeah, the, the Mister Sinister stuff was like it's in its own separate spatial pocket dimension. I think they yeah. said words to that yeah. effect. Yep. And also, the mutants have been 
busy with all sorts of other problems. So yeah, they've so, been distracted as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole point of like the Quiet Council, right? Like certain people being had their votes taken away because they weren't confident that they had purged the Mr. Sinister strains from their DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So I was totally and fine with this. I think I it was think actually Shaw good. is more or less in charge of the pharmaceutical side of things and the training, so he's yep. not exactly keeping a close eye on things. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I, I buy. I, I think they they give it they give enough foundation that I'm willing to say, yeah, in this universe that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. More and more fighting. You see, Wilson Fisk, the uh, the kingpin, he gets punched in the face by Omega Sentinel, and I'm thinking that's going to come back to bite Orcus in the ass eventually. You don't mess with Wilson. I'm kind of looking forward. Which is good. I actually really like that this is... So, I think a while ago I was saying I really don't want to see just a reversion to the same old, same old X-Men story. And this is another criticism I've seen of this issue is like, oh, we're just going right back to the same old stuff. I feel like this is actually something different because it's not just humanity hates mutants. There's There are enough like non-mutants that seem to have a vested interest in combating Orcus that mm-hmm. I think you could tell some different kinds of stories here that have been told in the past. So, sure. And also, I think it feels different to have mutants be you know, victims and hated and feared right after they were all the way on the top of the world telling people, literally, we are your gods now. Yes. Right? That's different than just they're an oppressed minority coming up from the bottom. Yes. They're being knocked off the top perch. Yeah. So we see Kate Pride phasing through a Stark Sentinel and disrupting the technology, reminding us that's something she does. Uh, and yet, it almost seems like the tide is turning against Orcs. We've got all these powerful mutants. They were taken by surprise at the beginning, but they're yeah. kind of starting to regroup and do their thing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Jean is about to invade the minds of all the invaders, and we don't know exactly what she was going to do because she doesn't have a chance to. Evil robot Moira, who is immune to Jean's psychic control because she's a robot, uh, she sneaks up behind Jean and literally stabs her in the back with a dagger coated in Blightswill. Nasty. Yep. So yeah, Blightswill coming back in a big way. <laughs> yep. So the mutants are still kind of rallying against the invaders. They still think they might be able to win. But then Moira grabs Xavier and tells him he'd better make them all stop or Org is going to trigger that Trojan horse in the mutant meds and kill all those nice humans that Charles wanted to help. So I'm going to... I'm going to pause here for a moment, not not to read an ad, although anyone out there wants to hire us to read an ad, get in touch. Uh, I'm going to read a short excerpt from X-Men Red number seven, which was a Judgment Day issue. Specifically, these are the dying words of uh, Magneto, which says this to Storm. He says, I'm not going to do a voice, uh, there will come a day, I fear it will be soon, our enemies will strike, and Charles will feel forced by events to act, to do something, because something must be done, however terrible. And because, in the no place of his heart, he cannot see a choice. And on that day, he will martyr us all. He is a good man, or we must be wary of good men. But what will they not do to show how good they are? Now, that was a hell of a prophecy. That was a better prophecy than anything we've gotten out of friggin' destiny. Because that's exactly what happens here. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's so good. I like it. I like it because it's based on his character and not knowledge of you know, the exact specifics of what he mm-hmm. does. Because Magneto knows Charles, I don't know about better than anyone else, but in a different yeah. way than any other mutant does. And he's, yeah. he's seen his weaknesses more clearly than anyone else has seen. Yeah. So what and does it's it tragic mean? to me. I know a lot of people are like, I hate Xavier in this scene. Like, don't ever let him have any power or control over mutants. He, he's a good guy trying to do good things, right? 
It's if such a terrible scene. A good guy, and like Magneto says again, I'm I'm not literally wearing my Magneto was right shirt, but I yeah. kind of kind of am. Yeah, uh, he's a good man who really wants people to know what a good guy he is. Yeah. Right? He's very concerned about being seen as being good. And I think we all know some people, you know, people in our lives or people in, you know, public life who have that aspect to them. I think it, it gives it a certain level of realism, you know, in a comic book sense. So I think that that's a cool level to his character. So what does Xavier do here? He surrenders. Uh, he's, he, I don't know what else he could have done. I mean, but. Yeah. He does have all these millions of powerful mutants around, you know, minus a few heavy hitters like Iceman and Gene, who are, you know, no, not really on the board. But he could have done something. You, I, I imagine, like, if the book had been written up to this page and then editorial said, hey, we're changing everything. Jerry Duggan, you have to write the rest of this issue and make the mutants win. Yeah. It would have been pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, give him a, you know, a couple of cups of coffee and a walk around the park. He could have come <laughs> up with a way for mutants to win. Yeah. But Xavier doesn't consider that. You know, he is. Even before this happens, he's in a bad place. Yeah. His quiet counsel is falling apart. Uh, his relationship with his son is falling apart, has fallen apart. Yep. So he's not in a, he's not at his best. So yeah, his he, best friend's gone. Oh, yeah. Magneto's dead. His friend's gone. It's, he's gotten a talk down from <laughs> so many characters like the last three or four issues of different books. Everybody's <laughs> come out yeah. swinging. So I buy that he surrenders. I buy yeah. that he's. Know, emotionally spent, and even if he could fight back, he's not in a place to do it. So he gives up. He yep. completely submits to uh, Orcus's orders. He, he uh, he's told to psychically order all the mutants first to stop fighting. This is not just on at the party. This is all over Krakoa, all over the whole globe. Forces all the mutants to stop fighting Orcus and to march right through whatever the nearest gate is. So Doctor Stasis says that the gates have been ordered to send the mutants quote off Earth. But he doesn't elaborate. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. So, meanwhile, the last ghostly, dying, psychic remains of Jean Grey, there's a lot of Phoenix imagery in the art here around her. Yep. She makes herself known to Firestar, right? Just kind of appears to her. And Jean has a plan. She's going to plant a false memory in Dr. Stasis's mind to make him think that Firestar has been a traitor for him all along. And she'd been working for Orcus even before she was elected to the X-Men. That's a cool development. Did you did you like that bit as much as I did? I did a lot, yeah. Because we've been having a foreshadow of, like, there's a traitor on the X-Men, right? Yes. And we even, like, tried to guess who it might be. And easy for these characters to believe she's the traitor. They didn't totally trust her before when she joined, right? We've had she's scenes for... She's been an outsider. Yeah, she's been yeah. a mutant. She was always created as a mutant, but she was never really interacting with the X-Men or other mutant folks. She was always on the Avengers side. Yep. And, and um, I've... Go ahead. I was say, I've also kind of wondered, like, well, what's a good story to tell with this character that's really intriguing? And this is a great story. You know, the, the secret mole in the organization where everybody doesn't know you're the mole and they hate you for it. Yeah, and she she'll she'll be the only one to know that she's actually on their side. But yeah, yep. she's going to basically be thought of almost like the new Scarlet Witch, right? Yep, yep. But, but even worse because she's a mutant who did this to her own people who sold out the mutants. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that a lot. Uh, and so Destiny back in X Men twenty four had said that there was quote a turncoat on the X-Men. Yep. So I guess Destiny even is ignorant of the real truth of what's going on here. Yeah, she, she might have sees, seen the scene. She's seen like from the outside what yep. it looks like, but she doesn't know the real deal. 
which is it's also kind of cool. Yep. <clears throat> so also, meanwhile, Mother Righteous goes and does something very odd. She <laughs> sneaks off and she steals the entire Atlantic island of Krakoa. Yep. So now we don't hear about the Atlantic island much. Most of what we think <laughs> of as Krakoan locations are on the Pacific island. Yeah. So on the Atlantic island, the only things I know of are, we've been told there's Danger Island, which is like the Danger Room, and that got mentioned like once, way, way back in Dawn. There's uh, the Transit, which is a gateway to go back to Pacific Island, and there's the Point, or the Pointy, with an E at the end, which had been the X-Force headquarters, but then Beast turned that into a kaiju and made it stand up and walk away, so that's not even there. Yeah. So there's not much going on with this island, so the narration box, and there's tons of narration boxes in this issue, it says that not a soul alive knew that Mother Righteous had done this. So I guess this is her own thing, not a part of Orcus's plan? Is yeah. that how you took this? Yeah. This is very mysterious, but a great like nugget of like what's she doing. <laughs> again, this could go anywhere. This could be a get-out-of-jail-free for a lot of things. It could be, yep. oh no, things are even worse than we thought. Yep. Later on, a bunch later on, Modoc is actually really happy to see that the Atlantic Island has, quote, disappeared off satellites. So that made me think that maybe Orcus did know about this? Yeah, unknown. It could go either way. It's not really clear, which is just fine. Okay, so at this point, all these mutants are heading through the gateway, but not quite all of the mutants. So we've kind of argued before about this famed red triangle protocol, and if a mutant who had been trained this way could resist Charles and Zeke. I yeah. thought it was kind of silly. I think you thought it was it was more more blue. Uh, <laughs> so now we see it actually in use on the page, and this is that that second uh, word bubble used in a creative way. You yeah. see, it it's shown to us as the letters R E S T I S T resist written <laughs> in a red font and arranged in no surprise the shape of a triangle, and that makes sense. I like it. It's yeah. a nicely comic booky way, a graphic way to show which characters are specifically using this exact technique. Yes. And because Xavier is psychically commanding millions and millions of units worldwide, I am I find it more believable that a few of them actively using this this training could be able to resist because his his yeah. attention is spread. And he's a broken man, worldwide. right? You can imagine, yeah, he could probably like force his will on these individuals and break through the red triangle. Mm-hmm. But it's not his objective, right? Like, he's been defeated, and he's just kind of, like, following the marching orders that were given to him. What we do see that actually happens once, because Mystique, there at the party, she tries to resist, and I think she speaks up to Charles about it. But then Charles focuses on her so specifically and tightly that it seems like break her brain. She throws herself out a window onto some rocks, and seemingly to her death, but then her body disappears, which in comic books usually means she's not really dead. Yeah. Which is interesting what's going on. There's another thing. It's like, what's going on? So we didn't cover this, but Destiny and Mystique are at the party early on. They have a fight and they leave the party. And we see Destiny telling Mystique when Charles tells you to do something, do it. Mm -hmm. And then this happens, right? So And Destiny does go through a portal. Yes. And Mystique does. Yeah. So it seems like Destiny was trying to get her to go through the portal, presumably to save her. So this could be a death, right? We don't know. I know Destiny's thing is trying to save Mystique, although they kind of had that out, so maybe she changed. Maybe this is one of the ways she, all the future she was seeing Mystique die. That was a whole thing in Immortal and in Sins of Sinister. So maybe this is one of those ways she saw 
And over the whole course of the House of X, Powers of X, and whatever recent timeline, we've seen pretty much Charles forcing her to do stuff that she didn't, right? And she had to take it into her own hands to get Destiny brought back, because before that, she was kind of a puppet, right? Doing anything to get what she wanted to get her wife back. Right, back when they didn't want any precogs on the island. Yeah. So I kind of thought this was tragic and sad, where she's like, stop manipulating me again, and then just kind of, she crashes through a window. And again, exactly where these units are going is unclear, and that'll be one of the things we'll, we'll talk about at the end. Yeah. So who do we see resisting? We see Nightcrawler at the Washington Square Arch Portal in New York City. We see Kate and Emma at the gala. Lords is with them. She's shown using the, the same technique later on. Curse, we see, not using technique, but she doesn't have to because canonically, she is not affected by psychic manipulation. So I thought that was a cool thing that to be referenced there. She gets yeah. carried bodily through the gate by other mutants who are affected, and she tries to throw a curse at Charles as she goes through. Whether or not that curse actually takes effect, I don't know. Yeah, there's a cool little rumor or theory that I'll share about that in a bit. Ooh, for sure. The, like the only thing I don't like here is when we see Miss Marvel using the red triangle. Yes, that's in I'm my like, notes as well. When the hell did she learn it? <laughs> She's been a mutant for like five minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. welcome to being a mutant. Here's your here's your red triangle training. <laughs> so, I, yeah, that really bothers me. I get that they can't have her off the table if they're gonna have a story she, with her. She but, has her own series coming up. Although yeah. some people who die in this issue do have their own series coming up soon. I don't know yeah. how that's gonna work. We can. I have some theories there too. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, Forge is using the technique. Scott is not using the technique, but he's currently strapped to a stretcher in the back of an ambulance. Yeah, and his legs are broken. So his legs are broken. Yeah, I thought he had died at the treehouse, but here we see that he's really badly issue- injured. Legs, maybe back broken, we don't know. Yeah. He's he's in a bad bad shape, but still alive. So it's gonna be weird, is is he gonna be the new wheelchair bound Xavier type? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> not that I have anything against people who use wheelchairs. Don't send your letters. But yeah. I, I think that would be, uh, you know, him becoming the new Charles Xavier. I, I think that kind of story we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wolverine, we see using the technique. Uh, we don't know where he is, but he does get to slice and dice a bunch of orcas goons because he's such a badass. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and in a group shot, we see some other characters use the technique. Some I recognize. Uh, I'm pretty sure I see Dakin. Or Dawkin. Yeah. Sink, Bishop. Bishop, Angel, Psylocke, maybe, I think. Yeah. With the butterfly eyes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a group there. And uh, Lords, she uses her teleportation power that we were just reminded of about 50 pages ago to teleport all these mutants away. As she does so, evil robot Moira throws a Blightswill dagger at her, which misses, but it hits some bald guy in a green suit. I feel like I should know who this guy is. Do you have any idea no. who this character might be? No. So yeah, listeners, if you have any idea who, let's see, I'm looking for the page here. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah, I saw oh, it. Page it's 60. Like, is he a random Ooh. human ambassador? Like, I don't know. Oh yeah, he might yeah. be an ambassador. Uh, he's in the same panel as Kitty and Romeo, the inhuman who was there as Iceman's date. But uh, yeah. yeah, this this bald-headed, I guess, human gets killed. Ambassador is probably a good good guess but yeah anyone who knows for sure let us know. Uh, uh, i thought uh, as an aside with iceman i thought he was in a relationship with the son of um what's his face black king did that fall through some at some point i i don't know but we were told early in this issue that at least for this event this guy's his date or you know, yeah. escort you know it could be a thing where 
He just needed an escort for some reason. They want another yeah. human there. They yeah. didn't make Ms. Marvel feel comfortable. I'm just, you know, no prizing it. But yeah, we don't know that they were necessarily in a relationship. They were just a date for the night. Yeah. Maybe something happened in a book I haven't read. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then a uh, one nameless, faceless, masked orcas goon is going to shoot lords and prevent the teleportation. But he gets his skull crushed by Wilson Fisk because that's what Wilson Fisk does. He's yeah. angry now. <laughs> uh, finally, third time's the charm. Another nameless, faceless, masked orcas goon gets a shot off just as the teleportation takes effect. So the group does escape as uh, Dr. Stasis says, aw, crap. So this was not part of it. He doesn't yeah. say it backwards, though, so they don't actually poop their pants because of the backwards magic. So that's nice. <laughs> he just says, aw, crap. <laughs> this group winds up uh, in the basement of the old New York City Hellfire Club, which I don't know why Lords chose there, but it's a place very familiar to her. So if she's kind of panicking, she needs to go yeah. somewhere, Hellfire Gala, Hellfire Club, yep. it makes sense to me. Yep. Which also turns out to be a place that has a bunch of gates in it. But before we get there, well, Lords drops dead of her gunshot, R.I.P. Lord Chantal. And this and is the second time that she has died at a Hellfire Gala. Yes, yes. I mean, the first time in Cloud <laughs> X-Men number seven, uh, it was a, a, a human Hellfire Club gala, not a mutant one. Yes. And that was recently retconned into being a fake death so she could, you know, escape. Yes. But she was even wearing a single-looking dress in that issue, which I'm sure is not coincidence. No. But this time, she appears to be actually really, we mean at this time, dead. Yeah. As far as we can tell. For now. Yeah. It's weird that they brought her back just for this purpose. It's like... Do you I think it was it. That, that... You think that's why they brought her back that long ago? Yeah, I don't know. Could be. It could have been long-term planning. I will say this. Um, Sebastian's been all on board with Orcus, right? But he wanted to make right by Lords, right? We've seen him trying to reestablish a relationship with her. Is this the you know thing that makes him recant on his alliance? Are you saying they're bridging Lord Chantal for the sake of uh, Shaw's character? <laughs> all letters to Ruben. Ah. Oh, it, it, it's she, interesting. She's not I mean, a major character, but it, it is an interesting thing. They needed some some way to get all these characters safely out of the gala, and they yeah. couldn't use magic, so it, it does make sense that they would use her. But then they need they can't have her teleporting them all over the world now. Yeah. So again, for story reasons, sorry, Chantal, it kind of makes sense to take her off. So Emma wastes no time in coming up with a plan. She's she's angry. I mean, her 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 dress is kind of ruined. Her mascara seems to be running. She is not in a good place. Yeah, uh, she wants dead. to go right back to Krakoa through one of these many gates that she's put here in the Hellfire Club. And she's going to get all those baddies there, lethal strokes, just make their brain just pop. Yeah. And she tells the rest of these mutants, hey, you guys go and, and fight the center. Only one problem, though. The gates don't work anymore. At least at least not for her. Yeah. Orcus has taken control of them. And there's an actually very funny page where Emma tries to go through a gate, but, you know, smacks her nose on it like she just tried to walk through a glass door yeah now did you see the pages i posted to our slack channel and yeah it's definitely parallel to like slack. marauders the early scenes of that book. Yeah, marauders number one at the very very beginning of dawn of x the first time kitty tried to go through a gate and cracked her nose the pages yeah. are you know panel for panel you can see if you if you flip back and forth it's clearly like they put it's almost traced but in a intentional homage kind of way with uh, you know, different characters playing different roles, but some of the same dialogue, the same looks on their faces. It's, it's very funny. It really does drive home that this is a new beginning. 
like a, a, a really new status quo, just like it was all the way back. So I like that. And the gates are offline. The gates are offline. So now time to go back to the party and, and wrap things up there. So Nimrod has, he's taken some time to do it, but he finished killing the juggernaut, R.I.P. juggernaut. Uh, Dr. Stasis reveals, you could probably hear the quotes in my voice there, he reveals to the rest of Orcus that, hey, Firestar has been on our side. He's been my mole this whole time, so don't kill her. Uh, Dr. Stasis has Orcus goons kill all the human guests. Uh, again, this was done pretty funny. One of the ambassadors says, hey, I, I got cell coverage, and it says on the news that all the human guests were killed. And Dr. <laughs> says, oh, yeah, I, I guess our press release went out a little too early. Don't worry. <laughs> Now it's true. All the humans are dead. There's this weird little bit where Charles uses his psychic powers to make them die painlessly. Okay, Charles, you're a nice guy. We get it. We get it, Chuck. You're good. <laughs> ah, so uh, what, what else is next? Okay, Moira's about to blight swill stab Xavier to death. But Rogue, hey, remember Rogue? She gets back just in time from saving Captain America, bursts up through the rocks very dramatically, and then grabs Chuck and flies off with him, but not before tossing a threat at Firestar, whom she, of course, of course thinks is a traitor. So yep. Foreshadowing, I'm sure, we're going to see all sorts of mutants say all sorts of horrible things to and about Firestar. Yeah, they're going to owe her a huge apology when it's all over. <laughs> Eventually, I do wonder how long it's going to take before she gets to, you know, say, hey guys, I was doing it all for you, and she was Jean's yeah. idea. Jean. Yeah. So Rogue wants to take Charles off to Captain America, who's putting that new Unity team together that we've seen in previews. But Charles is just going back to Krakoa, Pacific Krakoa, presumably. And when he gets there, he explains to Rogue that he had thought all those UNC were going through the gates were going to wind up on Araka. I don't know exactly why he thought that, because Stasis only says they're going off Earth. Yeah. But now, Charles can't contact any of them psychically. He can't feel their existence. Yeah. And he maybe jumps to the conclusion that they're they're all dead yes. and I killed them, he says. Yep. So if he was in a, a bad bad shape a couple pages ago, he is just a complete wreck now. That last yes. picture of him, that's a very emotionally intense look at Charles Xavier's face there on page seventy one. Yeah. I I don't know exactly whose artist this is. I could probably figure it out. I think it's whoever did uh oh what was the one where Moira became the role? Uh, shoot. Anyway, it's, it's, it's one of the really good artists. There's so many artists here. I already complained about that. I'm not going to do it again. But this is yeah. a cool page. Yeah. So you get good, two good faces. You've got Rogue's shock and Charles's anguish. Yeah. This is almost a parallel to that famous park bench scene with Charles and Moira, right? The look oh, into yeah. my eyes and read my mind scene. Yeah. I Interesting. Think, I haven't done this, but I think if we laid those pages over each other, we might get another another similar effect because it's again learning a new thing about the state of the world that you didn't realize yeah so what do you think really happened to all those millions of mutants are yeah, they all so these, dead so these are the two rumors i've heard um and i'll tell you which one i think is okay. more plausible so the first one and this is the insight about curse curse did curse charles right started as, to at least yeah as curse, as curse was leaving so somebody had said hey maybe he just can't use his power in that way this at this point but he kind of he kind i mean it doesn't really jive for me because he's still went into people's heads and like shut down their pain when they were getting killed right that's true so that's why i don't really buy that that theory well, at least he thought he did maybe he thought he did and it didn't work <laughs> that's a horrible no prize but okay 
<laughs> yeah. It was okay. actually super excruciatingly painful. Oops. <laughs> um, yeah, I shouldn't be laughing about that. But uh, the other one, which I think is more plausible and interesting, is what if um, Mother Righteous, when she took the Atlantic Krakoa Island and put it in that magic snow globe, basically has like sequestered all of the mutants that went through the gates into that micro island? I mean, that is possible. We know that Mother Righteous is, I think they call her an affiliate of Orcus, but she, yes. she has her own purposes and goals. And Correct. maybe she doesn't want all these mutants dead. Maybe she wants to be the hero again, right? She was presenting herself on Krakoa until recently as, you know, this amazing savior person who's going to you know, yes. rescue everybody. So maybe this and is she's interested that. about Dominion, right? Like she knows about the Dominion. Orcus does not. And she also knows that many mutants are not trusting her. As many as like several seem to be mm-hmm. on board with her. There are a few that aren't. Well, how would you get their undying loyalty to you? I think saving the 250 uh whatever thousand that allegedly like left and are dead and bringing them all back i think that would probably get you a lot of street cred with the uh greco and mutants certainly could and if she needs to have you know back up an army of her own when she goes against orcas eventually as she's clearly going to do it would be useful to her to have you know some really strong mutants on her side yes uh, we also know that Orcus has set up a size-shielded prison in New York City. Yeah. Well, that's not going to be big enough to hold all the mutants, but maybe some of them got sent there. Yeah. Who knows? And I think but a yeah. key thing we haven't highlighted, but just to draw an emphasis on this, the five are gone. So they, they were part of the ones that did not resist, or we haven't seen them resist, right? Well, they were. I think they were trying to resist. But it was oh, that's right. They were that's right. Them through. That's right. They were trying, but yeah, they were like, "You got to get them out to safety." Yeah, that's on page fifty-six. Yep, and Exodus being Exodus, <laughs> he, he wants to he wants to save them, and yep. once he gets an idea to set, he's the zealot. That's what he did. Pushed them all right through. Yep. So yeah, I, I think I do think it's possible that we are down to a really small number of living mutants. I think it's possible they're actually all dead. Yeah. I don't think it's likely. I think it's more likely that we're going to find out they've been sent off somewhere. Yes. And there'll be a whole thing about getting them back. Yes. But I, I can't say for certain, given what Jerry Duggan's done in the rest of this issue, I can't say, oh, no, he would never do that. But he, <laughs> crazy son of a gun, might do it. <laughs> I actually like the idea better that they're gone and, you know, any three to four years we find out they're back. Yeah. We don't need a, we don't need it to be mutant massacre all over again, or yeah. uh, I forget the term for when they all got deep power, the whole no more mutants thing. We don't need it to be yeah. quite that same thing again. Which yeah. I, I guess people are saying, oh no, we're just back to that old status quo we're worried about. Yeah, I don't think it's going there. I think we have enough different stuff going on that there's certainly room to, to be creative. Yeah, I mean, at some point you could have a story where they get identified and then there's a desire to rescue everybody, right? That'd be a pretty cool story. Certainly could be, but yeah, I wouldn't mind them be all being off the board for a good chunk of time. I, I think wanna... having a small cast of actual mutants still around. I mean, plus there's all, all the millions of mutants on Mars. Yes, I want to raise another question, which is probably assuming that, like too much um, thought from Dugan. But um, so Xavier gets left on Krakoa, right? And they say, you know, population one. That's that like, actually a cool little narration box because yeah. we've seen these population mentions before. So yeah. to see it back to one is it, it gives you a little bit of a shock. Yeah. But I would question that because isn't Nathaniel Essex in the pit on the island? 
Or is this saying hmm. Nathaniel Essex has actually already escaped? And, I mean, uh, Cypher was still in the pit, too. Well, not in the pit, yeah. but he had been taken into Krakoa. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I'm, cur- question. I'm curious about those two points. Like, is this intentional or is this just, like, for the dramatic effect of, like, poor lonely Charles or, like, you know, he's giving himself a penance? The other thing, and this, this has been brought up, um, you know, Krakoa burns you out, right? It takes your mute, like, sucks the life energy from mutants. Right. Is he right. going to be, like, a withered husk by the time we see him next? Yeah, has he has, has he saved up some some stores of you know put away some food for the winter and the grasshopper kind of way, or is is all this amazing Krakoan activity in life going to just kind of go into dormancy? Good question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of, of Cipher being there in Krakoa, both Cipher and Manifold were specifically taken off the board before this happened. Yep. So if we have mutants transported somewhere far away, Manifold will be a perfect possibility yes. to be the one to, to go get him and bring him back. Yep. So maybe and that's I've, what Destiny's talking about. Yep, yep. And I've been wondering, like, what the heck, why why was Manifold, like, foreshadowed as, like, the key character, right? And this is a real plausible answer. And if, yeah, and if Destiny was, like, telling if Mystique, like, hey, go through the gates when Charles tells you to, in her mind, like, no biggie, right? <laughs> we'll just bring you back when we get Manifold out of stasis and, you know, locate the people. You'll so, be fine. Who knows that Manifold is down there in that capsule? Destiny is gone. Rogue it was Rogue knows, and Rogue yeah. is still around. So yeah. she's going to be the one, if someone's going to go get Manifold, yeah. that'll be one of her. But, <laughs> first, but first she'll have to learn that the that everybody who's gone is not dead, right? Right. So that'll have to be some message get through somehow. Yep. Oh, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a ton of possibilities going forward, which I, that's something I love in comics and X-Men comics. Maybe Firestar. All these possibilities. Maybe Firestar can find out and then get the message out to her. Oh, that's, yeah, maybe Firestar being the mole could, uh, and then she'd have to convince Rogue that she's not really the enemy, that he can trust the information. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Okay, so the book's over, sort of. We get pages of promos and the calendar of upcoming releases, but then there's this little epilogue at the end. You got to the epilogue, right? Yes, I, I did read this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes in the DC podcast, that sometimes yeah. we don't always get to it. Yeah. yeah, we get two last pages, and this is a Kitty Pride bit. It was foreshadowed earlier, reminding us, just like we're reminded that lords can teleport. We're reminded that a Kitty likes to, because Kitty can't go through the portals. So she likes to kind of lampshade that by ostentatiously leaning Lady against the part of the portal that everyone else can walk. Yeah. So here in the basement of the Hellfire Gala, she tries to lean against the portal, and for the first time ever, she goes through. Which again, a real surprise to me. Uh, calling back to the very beginning of Dawn of X, and with a little bit of a twist, and she falls through, literally on her ass, literally back to the beginning. She shows up at the uh, Krakoa Embassy in Jerusalem, which I looked up in fandom has appeared in exactly two comics. It appears in this comic. Uh, Hellfire Gala 2023, and it appeared in House of X number one. So that is, if they if they don't want to, there's no bigger way of signaling, hey, we're going back to the beginning and doing a little different. But yeah. she literally falls on her ass there in front of the uh, the embassy, immediately surrounded by Krakoan goons, not Krakoan goons, Orcas goons with guns, who are very very confused. And I think that this story is going to pick up very soon. I think it picks up next week in the next X-Men comic. I believe that's a, a Kitty Pride issue where her status quo in this new era gets changed. So that would be a lot of fun. Yep. 
And I like it because I was never satisfied with the non-resolution of this dynamic, right? That she could sure. travel it through was, the gates. We were told about it, and I was expecting to find out, like we found out why she couldn't be resurrected, and you know whether or not that was a satisfying explanation. At least it was an explanation. They never went back to the gates thing. Yeah. And and now they're going to have to do something with it because what changed about the gates that the people who could use it now can't, and the one lady who couldn't use it now can't. Lots of fun. Uh, and the other thing I want to mention is uh, we had talked about Destiny's prophecies in a couple books. Uh, the Turncoat, probably Firestar. Uh, we're told that the X-Men will buckle under the weight of the war to come, which I had thought was the Genesis War, but I guess it means this attack? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Destiny said, I see a Jovian bolt from the heavens. Could that be Nimrod's attack from up above? I don't know. I see the stars ripped in half. I do think that could be Firestar's dual role here. And in Immortal 13, she looks at the future and she sees, quote, a blinding white nothing. Now, is that because she's now dead? Or is that telling us something about wherever she's been transported? Yeah. Could go a lot of different ways. But yeah, that's that was a really good book. I think. Again, I complained about all the stuff at the beginning got out, out, out of my off my chest. But overall, certainly the most consequential book since the end of Hotspots. Yep. Are not. Like, bigger than than X of Swords, bigger than Inferno, bigger than any. If you yeah. haven't read this book, you don't know what's happening going forward. I know it's like an $8 book, but it is worth it. For sure. If anyone's interested in jumping on X-Men, you got to pick this one up because this kind of lays it all out there. And I thought about this book a lot pretty much this whole week. And that, I can't say that with a lot of books. And yeah, there's a new old status quo, but it's different enough that it makes me excited. and. Um, I want to see the mutants get some revenge. <laughs> They've certainly elevated Orcus as like a, a big bad, right? They have. And also, like we mentioned in earlier episodes, this is all very much going out of the mutants' own flaws and their own mistakes. So they're yes. not just victims of an oppressive fascist group from outside. They're also mostly responsible for their own problems. And it's an interesting complicated way i like that. yeah so yeah the, the art was was really good just a lot of different styles if you like that you're gonna love this uh and i'm just gonna say i'm gonna give this a nine out of ten yeah i'm right there with you i know this really this issue upsets a whole lot of people and i'm sorry about that but um as soon as i finished reading this i was like man i'm on board with this i subscribed to like three or four books that i wasn't planning to read so i was like i gotta know what's happening yeah, it, so. it takes a big swing. This is not a cozy slice of life kind of story. I like to read some of those too over on the manga side of things, but uh, I like that we're getting kind of, kind of knocked around here. Fun way. Yep. So I am going to mention, we're not going to do a full review of Invincible Iron Man number eight. I'm going to mention it because we see some things that happen after the party. <clears throat> we see some things that happen after the party. Specifically, we see Emma and Fisk, the two of them, have made their way to an office building in New York City. Uh, the Stark Sentinel tries to arrest Emma, Tony saves her, and Emma saves him, but then Emma gets caught by the Sentinel, and Tony exits his armor, surrenders to Phalong, kind of like Xavier did to Orcus, uh, but then Tony says the trigger word rescue, which I think we've seen before, and the armor wraps itself around Emma and flies her off to sea. Yep. So that's, it's kind of showing that that group of people there in the Hellfire, get, or the, the Hellfire Club basement, they are going to go off and, and do their own thing. And Fist is going to be very much involved. Yep. And the Sentinels are out looking. 
Sentinels are out and about, and Emma and Tony are uh, moving towards something. Which we, we know they're going to get married in not too long. So I guess this is part of developing their relationship. Yeah. And again, in my mind, this is not the traditional X-Men humans against mutant storyline, right? Which I just was kind of not excited to see. Because here we see, you know, a lot of the human allies. We've had Fisk, right? And now we've got Tony Stark. They have a very strong vested interest in fighting Orcus as well. Yeah, and Captain America putting together that assassinated of yep. Avengers and X-Men. That's going to be a big part of that. So I think this, a very is, cool status this is good. Yep. There's a lot of ways to tell stories here. Like, uh, people often joke about Bendis saying that, oh, making Superman reveal a secret entity was set the scene for a thousand new stories, which it really didn't. But I think this really does give writers the ability to tell all these new stories. And I, I hope they find some good ones. Okay, so next week uh, is X-Men 25, which I think is going to be that Kitty Pride issue where she, she gets her new status quo there. Oh, by the way, because it's issue 25 and that makes an anniversary issue, it will be 52 pages long and cost six bucks. So be ready for that. We get Astonishing Iceman number one. I mean, uh, uh, hey, ain't he dead? He seemed really, really dead. Yes. Like, very extremely dead. Do you have any guesses how he's back to life? A month from now? I don't yeah. think it's a flashback issue. I think it is yeah. all of X. Yeah, I, I came to the conclusion that you did, that we've seen him recently doing body dupe stuff where he can, I guess, put his mind in one of his different Icemen. Yeah, and one of the, it was part of the Brood storyline, I think, where he did a thing where he kind of left a little bit of himself behind in the spaceship, and then he went out of the spaceship, and he kind of seemed to die out there, but yeah. the little bit of himself that was remained, he could put his consciousness in. I'm thinking that's what happened here. There's a snowball and a freezer somewhere. And yes. That's where he's going to go back. I mean, you would think if he had that power that he would just do like a Horcrux thing, right? Where you <laughs> put a little mini yeah. Iceman somewhere to jump into if you little need backups, to. Right. Yeah, and that's going to be written by um, some people's favorite, Steve Orlando. So yeah, that spoilers. That's the, issue number one. Go ahead. Yeah. That's the one I did not buy, just to be clear. Okay. <laughs> well, we're we're going to check out issue number one. If it's important for fall of x if or if we like it we'll be going forward with it but yeah i mean i don't know what the vegas odds are on us covering issue number two but i wouldn't put the mortgage on <laughs> and also there's going to be magneto number one next week i mean hey ain't, ain't he dead too yeah i uh, don't no, don't worry about that this is a flashback book set back when magneto was headmaster of the xavier school and it's written by jmd mateus art by todd knock now we probably won't cover this one because we'll have enough to talk about next week but it looks like it might be cool. I like uh, J.M.D. Mateus. There are some rumors that um, in Scarlet Witch, Eric will be brought back, but not the current version, like a more old school version. Yeah, I, I've seen people talk about how somebody, I haven't been reading that book, I read the first couple issues and dropped off. Uh, they're talking about how it looks like it's going to be Joseph, who was a clone of Magneto created back in the 90s. Uh, well, I think when he was created, he was supposed to be Magneto Reborn because Magneto was dead at the time. But yeah. then he was revealed slash retconned to just be a clone. Yeah. So exactly the status of that clone versus all these other clones who we're told are <laughs> the real person. Uh, who knows? He's a clone. Clones could be them. Yeah. Clones, clones are people too. Yeah. So that, I think, is all we have to say today. It was a longer episode, but there was a lot going on. So, folks, hope you enjoyed the podcast hope you enjoyed the issues this week and uh come back next week but before they come back next week ruben what should everyone go and do 
Gotta read those X-Men comics.